Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of First Baptist Church in West Memphis, Arkansas. I'm Pastor Josh Hall, and I want to invite you to join us in our new Bible study on the attributes of God, based on Dr. Steve Lawson's curriculum on the attributes of God. Join us now on our Bible study already in progress. I am very excited as we continue our study through the attributes of God. And over the last several weeks now, we have been going through this study, and our goal is not for you to become scholars. Our goal is not for us to um, just know more about God, but our desire, I sincerely hope that your desire is that you would know God, that you would walk with Him, that you would spend time with Him daily, gazing upon him and his word. And that's what this study is about. What does the scripture say about God? It doesn't matter what makes you feel good. As a matter of fact, most of the times, uh, if you have a philosophy that makes you feel good, a lot of times that philosophy, those philosophies are wrong. It doesn't matter what is popular. It doesn't matter Uh, what is even dictated to us by people around us, what matters is what does the Bible have to say about who our God is. That's why the Bible is so important. That's why it's so important that we as believers uh, highly esteem the Bible, that we recognize God's word as being infallible, that that it is without error. It's very important that we state that I'm so glad to be a part of, uh, uh, to be a cooperating church in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has gone through that battle. We continue to go through the battle on the authority of Scripture, on how this word is without error. And uh, we continue, if you've uh, you've read our articles over the last uh, two weeks and the coming weeks, You'll see how the Southern Baptist Convention is still going through uh, uh, small conflicts and struggles as I believe we seek to not only regard the authority but the sufficiency of the Scripture, that God's Word is enough for us. Do you believe that, church? And I am thankful for God's Word. Tonight we're going to look at God's Word and we are going to see who our God is through His Word. As we have gone through this study together, we have looked at several attributes of our God. We have gazed upon him together as we have looked, firstly, at his self-existence. That is to say, just to remind you tonight, when I say that God is self-existent, I mean that he does not need anyone or anything to exist. He uh, is not relying upon anyone or anything. He is not relying upon his creation to bring him joy. God simply is in need of nothing for his own existence and his own joy. That's our God. You and I are constantly in need of things. We are constantly relying upon others. Our God has, doesn't have to lean on anyone or anything. He is self-existent. During our second week, we looked at the spirituality of God. When we say the spirituality of God, what we say about our God is that he is without physical body. Our God is spirit. And there will be natural implications, or there will be, I don't know, natural is the right word. There will be implications for that on our attribute that we study tonight. Our God is spirit. 
Thirdly, in our third week, we observe that our God is sovereign, that God sits on his throne. Our God uh, is in control. Everything falls underneath his authority. Nothing happens without his expressed permission and desire. From the beginning of all of creation, he designed everything for a certain purpose, and he works out everything for his glory and our good. And church, his glory is our good. We looked at God's sovereignty. Last week, we looked at God's holiness. We said that had two, where we illustrated two implications from that last week. When we say that he is holy, he is above all things, okay? He is above all things. Uh, His ways are not our ways. And then we looked at how morally, when we say that God is holy, we say that he is without sin. God does not sin. Uh, He is incapable of sinning. Uh, When we look at God, we say that he is pure and holy. And tonight, we begin one of three studies on the omnis. That's what I call it, the omnis. Uh, Over the next three weeks, we will look at the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, and then lastly, the omnipotence of God. I heard the preacher one time uh, refer to this as the omniscience of God. It's omniscience, okay, and omnipresence that we'll look at tonight. And uh, that, may, that may have been me. Who knows, okay? But tonight we'll look at the om- omnipresence of God. Few doctrines are taught more clearly in the Scripture than the omnipresence of God. It's very clear throughout all of Scripture that our God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. When I say omnipresent, there are really two words at play there. There's the word present, which means here, close to, or next to, and the word omni carries with it, uh, well, it means all, but it carries with it universality, which means when we say that God is omnipresent, we say God is everywhere here. He is everywhere here. There is no place that your God is not. There is no place where we can go, where anyone can go to hide or to do things in secret away from God. The scripture clearly teaches that our God is omnipresent. He is everywhere here. The doctrine of omnipresence teaches us that God is at the same time present in every single part of the universe. God does not experience spatial constraints. I can only be in one place at a time. And boy, let me tell you, over the last four years, I wished I had a clone or two because I wish that I could be in a whole lot more places than I am. And I know that you feel that way too. You wish that you could be in more places uh, uh, than just one place at one time. We have that restraint. We're physical beings. God is spiritual. He does not have those restraints. He is everywhere present. He is everywhere here. And when I say that, when I say that he has no spatial constraints, I don't want us to just simplify that and say that we have a big God. Okay? Uh, Now, that's a statement perhaps I've even said. I don't want to say that it's necessarily not true. It's not that God is just physically big and everywhere where we are, he is. It's not that God is just large in size 
and the whole creation is not big enough to go outside of him. It has nothing to do really with creation itself. God is, before there was even anything, before there was even a where, God was in existence. Before he even spoke anything into existence, before there was even a a space into which God could hang the stars and the planets, before any of that even existed, God was present and fully satisfied in and of himself without need for anything. So it's not as simple as just to say that God is a big God. When we say that God is omnipresent, we simply mean he is not physical and he is everywhere present. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 7 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? And behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. That's our God. He cannot be contained. It's, it's not as if if we were able to expand the limits of the universe itself that finally we could contain God. He is not containable. He is everywhere at once. Really kind of beyond our understanding, isn't it? Really beyond our full comprehension. He is present everywhere. But I also want you to know this. He is everywhere, all present. Now, there are, we acknowledge we can't be everywhere at once, but sometimes we can't even be somewhere at once. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you've had to say, would you please repeat everything you just said? My body was here. My mind was not. When my wife asked me those, that, that question that freezes my body and makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up when she says, what did I just say? I, I acknowledge that not only am I not everywhere at once, but I'm not, sometimes I'm not even somewhere all at once myself. God is everywhere, all present. That means that there's not just a piece of God here tonight and a piece of God's presence in China with our brothers and sisters who perhaps are worshiping in some undisclosed location. There's not just a little piece of God on Jupiter and then farther beyond that. No, God is everywhere present, all present. It's, I mean, it goes beyond our thinking. It's why, or it's one of the reasons why, you can be praying right now and God has given you full attention. He is present there in your conversation with him, and yet he's also taking care of the affairs of all of the world and listening to the prayers of all of his people. He is everywhere present, everywhere, all present. Uh, Perhaps the scripture that comes to our minds the quickest when we think of God's omnipresence is Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, in verses 7 through 12, we read of God's omnipresence. If you have your Bibles, turn there real quick. Let's read this together and learn about the presence, the omnipresence of our God. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. The psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
Sheol is death. It's the grave. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What is the psalmist saying here? It's almost like a panorama. It's not just north, south, east, and west. Everywhere you go, he's there. It's like a, a panorama. Have you seen these 360 panoramas? I've spoken about this before. There is one that I can't, I can't stop talking about. It's, and I've said it like probably every, every sermon I've preached since I've seen this picture. But the new uh, rover on Mars took a 360 panorama of the nighttime sky in Mars. And it is just beautiful. I mean, it is just captivating. You, you can see it on NASA's website. You scroll your, your mouse and you can look all the way around. And you can look up. There's only so far you can actually look down, so it's not full encompassing. God is everywhere. Every single place. The psalmist asks this question, where can I go to escape you? Perhaps to escape your conviction, to escape your judgment, to escape these things. Where can I go? And the answer is obviously nowhere. There is nowhere that I can go to escape your presence. It says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed even in death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, verse 9, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, where no one else is, there you are. Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Think about that. Have there been times in your life when you've been and the night and darkness, and you've been unable to see what is going on around you. Uh, you know, you, there's no a question in this church. I've admitted it over and over again. I don't like the complete darkness. I get, I get frightened still at the complete darkness. I don't like it like that. Because you don't know, you know, the, the, the saying is, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in the dark. Who's looking in at me? Who's what are, listen. God is not afraid of what's in the dark. Even darkness is not dark to him. Everywhere you go to try to hide, everything doesn't make a difference. He's there regardless. Now let's go a little bit deeper here. And in Roman numeral 2, you'll see that he is present in the heights of heaven. This doesn't require us to suspend reason. But to understand that this is something greater than even that we can really understand. Scripture attests that God rules from the highest place. Our God is in heaven. He rules there. He is there. He is on his throne. He is present, fully present on his throne. Psalm 123 and verse 1 says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. God is present on his throne. This is extremely important, believers, for us to understand. He's, he is present there while also present here. In the ancient Greek religions, when a God wanted to, uh, little g, God, when a God wanted to see what was going on on the earth, 
they would leave Mount Olympus and they would come down to the earth to see what was going on. And when they left Mount Olympus, they weren't still there. They weren't real gods, of course. This is mythology. This is untrue. Of course, this is idolatry. They would leave their place on Mount Olympus. They would come down and Mount Olympus would be vacant. Their spot would not be there. But friends, I want you to know this, that as God is present here, he still sits on his throne. There is not an intermediary there who is taking his place while he is busy. There is not a steward of the throne of heaven. Our God sits on his throne, fully present there. It ensures his sovereignty. God's throne is high and lifted up. Isaiah 6 and verse 1, when Isaiah comes into the throne room of God, the kings of the earth may have passed away, but God is still on his throne. And in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, we see God is on his throne. Christians in all places at all times can trust in the knowledge that their God is in absolute control and is actively at work in their lives. When we can understand that God is present on his throne, we can know that he's working out all things together for our good. We can know that regardless of what's happening, well, that's why the psalmist will say, be still and know that he is God. I'm not going to be afraid even if the mountains are cast into the sea. Though everything changes around me, though everything goes against the way that I want it to, though I'm broken and like Job, you have everything taken away from me. All of my children and my finances and my health like Job. And though I'm left with friends who do nothing but sit around and ridicule me, Job could understand, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him in the land of the living. I will set my eyes upon him. We can know that because God is on his throne. And God can be on his throne and still involved in all of human affairs because of his omnipresence. He is everywhere present and everywhere all present. <clears throat> he is present in heaven. Roman numeral three, you see that he is present near the earth. We spoke about this last week, but there is this common theme that you'll hear from people during times of tragedy, that God is either all good or he is all powerful, but he can't be all good and all powerful. If he's all good, he won't allow certain things to happen on the earth. And the fact that things happen on the earth that we deem to be bad, we would say, well, then he can't be all-powerful or he would have stopped it. If he's all good, he would have stopped it. So he must be all-powerful or he must not be good at all. And he just doesn't care about us. He just does whatever he wants to do. He's just all-powerful. The fact that when we look at his omnipresence, we can understand that our God is not a deistic God. He's not a God who set things into motion and then stepped back away from human affairs. He is present in heaven and he is present here on earth. He sees everything that goes on. He knows what's going on in your lives. He knows what's going on in the drive over here. He was there. There's going to be a day, believers, when we will stand before God. We'll give an account of things that we've done in the flesh and the reason that we'll, be able to, we'll have to give an account is because there was someone keeping record. God is there. He knows everything. 
everything that's gone on in your mind, everything that you didn't say but you wanted to say. He knows everything that, that is going to happen this afternoon before it's even done. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere here on this earth. The God who is exalted on high, who is transcendent, is also present with his people. Scripture affirms God's commitment to his creation and to his people. God is present on earth as in heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. Know therefore today and by your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. There is no other. And when we say that he is present here on the earth, of course we know that great promise that he gave us as he ascended to the Father. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, to the age. God is present. He is near. But let's move now and examine something that perhaps you've not thought about. Perhaps it might strike you as odd or cruel at first. But let's look at Roman numeral 4 in our outline, how God is even present. There's a very real sense in which God is even present even in hell. There's this thought that if you love God, you will spend eternity with him in heaven. But the punishment for not loving him is that you will spend an eternity away from him in hell. But when we look to the scripture, that's not exactly an accurate or precise statement. What have we already learned from Psalm 139 and from the scripture? God is everywhere. Everywhere. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10, as a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to meet me there as I, as I ruffle over my pages to there. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. We read this astounding statement. Revelation chapter 14 Let's begin in verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. How about that for imagery? And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur, listen, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Friends, I tell you that in a very real sense, God is present even in the depths of hell, displaying his judgment against sin, displaying his wrath for unrepentance, displaying uh, uh, this uh, uh, part of his character. It's often, hell is often described as his absence. I tell you today that the people who will spend an eternity in hell would only wish that he would be absent from that place. A constant reminder. And it's not like people get to hell and they say, I, I wished I, would, I could turn back and be saved. Even, even the rich man and Lazarus, he didn't want to repent at that time. He wanted them to go, uh, an angel to go and tell his friends, his family about this so they, they wouldn't. Every momentless moment in, the, in eternity 
in the real place called hell will be filled with people who are still gnashing their teeth, who are still cursing the God who has condemned them because of their sin, their refusal to repent and call upon Jesus as Lord. God is present. We know God is present in blessings. When we say God is here, he is with us. Throughout the scripture, we see that his presence is counted as a blessing, but also throughout scripture, you'll see that his presence, when you are in sin, when you are in idolatry, when you are away from him, his presence is a fearful presence. His presence brings with it judgment. His presence brings with it accountability. He's present everywhere. And by the way, none of that compromises his love. None of it compromises his peace. None of, it, none of his traits are contradictory toward one another. God is present everywhere, always present. So let me give you some reasons why this is an opportunity for worship for us. Why God's omnipresence is not just something you write down in a notebook, check it off your list and say, we've learned about that. Why it's applicable to your life. It is a source of tremendous encouragement. God is with us in the midst of trial and adversity. God is there. I think of, I think of that account and the scripture where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow the knee to that idol and worship a false god. They could not. Their love for their God compelled them that even though they could die a gruesome and painful death, they could not bow the knee. And so when given yet another opportunity for the trumpets to blow and for them to change their mind, they would not bow again. And so the king instructed his guards and those officials to heat up the fiery furnace hotter than it had ever been. It got so hot that those or even a guard who went up toward it to get it hotter died because of the heat and the flames. And yet they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. That will teach them not to bow. That will teach anyone else who wants to buck the king of Babylon, to buck the kings of this earth. That will teach everyone a lesson is going to be shown here. And then King Nebuchadnezzar looks in that fire. He said, boys, I thought we threw in only three, but I see a fourth. And the fourth has the appearance of the Son of Man. Jesus was there present with them. And he's present with us in every trial. It may feel like he's a long way off. Oh, Father, you feel so distant from me. And perhaps my sin has made me feel so distant from you. You may feel like you are so far off from him. But I want you to know that he is near. In trials, when no one else around you understands what you're going through, he's there next to you. That poem 
about the footprints in the sand. You won't find that in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you what, it's absolutely true. There are times in your life when you felt like you were alone, there was only one track of footprints in that sand, but it was Jesus carrying you all along. His omnipresence ensures that he is with you at all times, that he is committed to his people. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's already lost the battle. He knows that. Our God is omnipresent. So even when Satan brings things against you, your God is a billion steps ahead of him. He's omnipresent. But not only is it a source of tremendous encouragement, but it's a grave warning. It's a grave warning. You can't sin and get away from it. You can't hide things from God. You can hide things from me. Man, you could put up a good show. I could, you could ask me to do your funeral, and I could tell everyone there that you were the best person I knew. If anyone was saved, I, know, I knew that it would be you. You can fool me. You can't fool God. His omnipresence is an assurance. It's not only encouragement. It's a grave warning that even when no one else can see, he can. Even when no one else knows, he knows. Those who oppose God can never flee from him. It's a warning to the world as much as it is to the church. Where can I, where can I hide from your presence? Nowhere. There's coming a day, as a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it's recorded when the earth is coming to an end and God is pouring out his judgment on the earth that people will cry out to God, God, let me die. Let the rocks fall down on me. Let me die. They will acknowledge that he is even the one causing this to happen and yet death will evade them still living in misery on the earth as it meets its end. It's a grave warning. His omnipresence is a grave warning to all the world that he sees, he knows, and he will hold you accountable. The good news is, the good news is that God has sent his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, live a perfect life, take on our flesh, unite himself with our flesh forever die on the cross for us, take the weight of our sin, the punishment for our sin. He died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and we can have a relationship with him and be in the presence of his joy and relationship. We can experience his purity and that we don't have to face his wrath. Our God is omnipresent. And friends, if that's not something to be happy about, if that's not something to get happy about, I don't know what is. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.